Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios. Chico Life Ready, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Friday evening where we have the opportunity to reflect into the richness of the gospel that comes to us Well, this third Sunday of Advent, which means it's Gaudete Sunday, which focuses in on this great spiritual fruit of joy that we have spent so much time talking about here on this radio program. And uh, so we will continue to talk about it, but certainly there's a number of other things to discuss as we will get into the Gospel of John, some similar readings that we had from last week, actually. Last week was the Gospel of Mark. This week, the Gospel of John. Similar, but different, of course, because the audience is different. And we'll, we'll, we'll look at that a bit closer here in a little bit. But because it is Friday, I do have Debbie Rosales with me. So, Debbie, great to have uh, you with me another Friday evening. It's great to be here. So, Debbie, before we get into the Gospel... You know, we were talking about John's baptism of repentance last week. So we focused in on this dynamic of uh, metanoia. The Greek word for repentance is metanoia. This this being knocked off your horse mm-hmm. really is, is what the metanoia is about. This this dramatic conversion, this this contrition and resolve, but something that takes root. And speaking of root, it got me thinking about a natural metaphor to better understand conversion, this organic metaphor that belongs to landscaping. For anyone out there who has a green thumb, you probably know what I'm about to talk about, and that is the relationship that exists between nitrogen and grass and why all good grass fertilizers have nitrogen in it. Okay, It's kind of one of the, the big three nutrients, if you will. I think it's phosphorus, potassium, and nitrogen. Why nitrogen? Well, the proper dose of nitrogen, when it's thrown upon the grass, it shocks the blade of grass to its core. And in doing so, it brings that one blade of grass to its original identity. It restores its proper color. Okay, so you throw down uh, nitrogen, and ultimately that spot will become very green. Oh, by the way, there's a great deal of nitrogen in our urine. This is why when our dogs and our cats <laughs> urinate on our grass, it's so green there. <laughs> but what's going on? The nitrogen is shocking that grass to its core. And in so doing, restores it to its original identity and at the same time brings back its color. Why would I talk about this? Well, this is what God's grace does. <laughs> it shocks us to our core. It knocks us off our horse, and it restores our proper color, does it not? I mean, I know, Debbie, you're a mother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when your children are sick, they look pale, and you know they are sick. Spiritually, we get sick, and we need God to knock us off our horse. And when he does so, he gives us the grace we need, and he restores our spiritual color, if you will. And so an image to play around with a, a little bit— Grace, we talk about gaudete, joy. Remember, the word grace uh, comes from the same word that uh, joy does, the, the, the kari. So when we receive this grace that knocks us off our horse, that restores our color, 
Well, that color is is joy, really. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the light. You know, Debbie, I'm playing around a little bit with this image, but if, if you do draw back and recollect the natural world around us, there are many, many organic metaphors that we can draw from that speak to conversion. Uh, certainly the seasons in of themselves speak to that, the need to die to self so as to give birth to something new. So it's something I would encourage all of our listeners do, to do. And in so doing, what you'll find is thinking more critically about just not the natural world around you, but the supernatural that you're called to live in. And in this way, certainly uh, the Advent season calls us to be thinking about the supernatural. And that's exactly what uh, the sacrament of confession does for us. Does Amen. it not? Amen. Though yes. your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow, the change of color mm. from red to white. Um, and that pure white is what we are, our souls are as we come out of that confessional, if we've done a, a good confession and, mm-hmm. and um, do our penance and um, absolve to avoid sin. What a beautiful image that is that we're like as white as snow. And that's what God's grace does for us. Yeah. You know, Debbie, you talk about the sacrament of confession. And here we are talking about metanoia, contrition, and resolve. And I'm reminded of one confession in particular, but on the hills of this many others. You know, it is so easy for us to just routinely enter into that that sacrament of confession and not pray for the grace of contrition. Well, one priest on one occasion... Uh, took note that I was not contrite. And let me tell you, with his words, he shocked me. I mean, he scared, uh, dare I say, the hell out of me, literally speaking. Uh, And I needed to hear it. I needed to hear it because it really led me to draw back, uh, again, that phrase, reflect more critically, uh, pray for an increase in contrition. And what was its fruit? A much deeper resolve, a much deeper resolve. And out from that, I cannot remember a time when I came out of that confessional of feeling so good. (laughs) But I needed to be shocked with God's grace, and God's grace certainly was was working through that priest. And, And so with that, Deb, let us turn our attention to the gospel for this Sunday. Again, this gospel takes us to some of the opening verses of John the Evangelist. And John the Evangelist, he's the theologian, right? He wants us to be reading uh, these opening verses, this chapter, in light of creation itself, the, you know, the book of Genesis. You know, days, light, darkness, these things that we read in the book of Genesis, we see in the opening verses of John. So um, it's about becoming a new creation. Uh, certainly, this is a part of our discussion this third Sunday of Advent. So why don't you Uh, get us going here with this gospel reading, Deb. And for our listening audience, I I believe this is what John chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, and then verses 19 to 28. A man named John was sent from God. He came for testimony, to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to him to ask him, Who are you? He admitted and did not deny it, but admitted, I am not the Christ. So they asked him, What are you then? Are you Elijah? And he said, No, I am not. 
Are you the prophet? He said, No. So they said to him, Who are you? So that we can give an answer to those who sent us. What do you have to say for yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the desert. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Some Pharisees were also sent. They asked him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, or Elijah, or the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but there is one among you whom you do not recognize, the one who is coming after me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to untie. This happened in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Amen. Thanks for reading that, Deb. One of the things that struck me when I was reading this uh, gospel and rereading the gospel again was the importance of John himself. Um, First and foremost, who he is and where he comes from. Uh, I want to make a point to bigger picture stuff here, Debbie. John is the son of who? Zechariah and Elizabeth. There is always insight to be gained within Scripture and the more collective narrative of salvation history when you get behind a name, okay? A name speaks to the kind of foreordained purpose, vocation, uh, intentionality, if you will. And so what does the name Zechariah mean? It literally means, if you're to go into the uh, origin of the name, the root, God remembers. What does Elizabeth mean? God has sworn. So their offspring, John, and John means uh, who has been graced by God, their offspring is the one who essentially is going to prepare the way for the fulfillment of the great promise, Mm -hmm. right? The significance of God remembering and God has sworn is caught up in this covenant theology. What is a covenant? Generally speaking, when you think about this word, we we might go to Webster's Dictionary and see convenire, to come together. We see it as a compact agreement where there's an exchange of things. But God elevates this uh, covenant understanding to just not about things, but persons. Not this is yours and this is mine, but I am yours and you are mine. And so you see in the narrative of salvation history, this being played out in light of a good working covenant theology. Going all the way back to Adam, you see these covenants being established. One in particular that should draw our attention is with Abraham, because this is the first place you see the word covenant or oath swearing going on that there would actually be a tie to Elizabeth and Zechariah. I believe it's what, Genesis 21, where Abraham is exchanging seven ewe lambs with Abimelech, right? And the significance of the seven ewe lambs is there was a covenant being made, and that's the first time you see oath swearing going on. There was this compact agreement. But again, God elevates this very finite understanding of what a covenant is about to something that is so much bigger, so much greater. So this whole idea of how do you make a covenant, you swear an oath, which I think we should all be familiar with. We see this in uh, the courtroom. We see this in, in medicine, mm-hmm. right? The Hippocratic Oath. Mm-hmm. Uh, you bind yourself, and it's, it, it, there's a process to it. There's an oath-swearing process to it. Um, well, God did this. <laughs> God did this. He established 
his covenant with his people throughout the story of salvation history. And in the names Zechariah and Elizabeth, people would have seen that. People would have been, hmm, that's interesting. Here you have a married couple whose names mean God remembers the oath he swore giving birth to this child. And oh, by the way, Elizabeth was barren. That has my attention. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That has my attention. People would have been tuned into that. So significant. And it's interesting, the whole idea of faithfulness, promise. Uh, This is God's mercy. The Hebrew word for mercy, actually you see two different words for mercy in the Old Testament, rahamim and hased. Hased is the blood bond of love. You see it all throughout the Old Testament. It's, it's this committed love. It's this faithful love. It's this love that I will be with you through thick and thin. Okay, that's God speaking to his people. And so it is. John the Baptist is, is God's mercy. He is the bridge between the yawning chasm of all of the Old Testament prophets and the Christ. And amen to that, that we have uh, these insights that can be gained, Debbie, when you just... Uh, pause, take a step back, recollect. A man named John. You never thought there was so much in one simple verse, right? (laughs) A man named John. Now, Debbie, if you were to go to verses 7 and 8, and I'll just go ahead and reread these. Mm -hmm. He came for testimony to bear witness to the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness to the light. Is this not our vocation? Every one of ours. Yeah. We share in the mission of the Baptist. Mm -hmm. Yes, historically speaking, the Baptist prepared the way. I get that. But what we are made to see also is the way in which we are called to share in this mission. No, the church's most fundamental vocation, its most fundamental witness is found in these two verses. Mm. To bear witness to the truth, to bear witness to the light. And how important is the image of light during this Advent season and Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. We were talking before, Debbie, uh, we came on air here, and I can't tell you what priest or what speaker said it. <laughs> Too many different people I've listened to recently. <laughs> he says, you know, there's something about dark and light. The more time you spend in darkness, the more brilliant that light will appear, and at least initially, the more difficult it will be to see. Okay, so... Well, avoid the darkness of sin mm. um, and, and enter into that light and be mindful that, uh, we, yeah, we live in a culture where there's a lot of darkness. But all that means, Debbie, for you and I and all of our listeners out there is the more brilliant will our light shine. And how important is that? How important is that? And the image that, as you were speaking, that came to me was the darkened church on Easter Vigil. Mm-hmm. Mm. And... What a beautiful representation of the light of Christ that is, is, you know, we enter this dark church and you can't hardly even see the brother or sister beside you. And in enters the Easter candle, which symbolizes the light of Christ. And we hear Lumen Christe. Mm -hmm. And I always just get chills. It's just Mm -hmm. this beautiful. And then we start off the Easter candle. We start lighting one by one our little lights and the entire church is illuminated. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, in that symbolic way, is what we're called to every single day. To just shine the light into the darkness, just like on Easter Vigil. That same thing should be happening 
each day. Yeah, and it's always important to remember that while we have these special seasons, mm-hmm. uh, they are special certainly because of what we memorialize, and in turn as Catholics certainly actualize <laughs> in history, but it's to perpetuate itself. It's mm-hmm. just not about this you know, 30-day period of, or, or this 40-day period. It's about 365 days a year. Right. But the Catholic Church, and this is part of her genius, Debbie, is that she embodies tradition Mm -hmm. and uh, the church is the family of God and we Mm -hmm. all come from families and why do we love this season is because we come together as families and we all have our traditions and we we share we regale one another with our storytelling and all the rest and it does something for us it Mm -hmm. builds us up okay but this is what the church stands for 365 days a year absolutely (laughs) The Mass is the privileged center, the privileged locus of tradition. So every time we go to Mass, this is what we enter into. And so that's so important. This whole image of light and dark, these two very strong images that come to us in Scripture. You know, what does that conversation look like, Debbie? I mean, think Mm -hmm. about this for a second. Light wants to come into a room, but what does darkness say? Darkness says, you cannot come in here because if you come in here, that means I will cease to exist. Mm -hmm. And it is my duty it is my duty to make sure nothing can be seen. So please do not come in. Well, light says, I am totally and entirely other-centered. I must come in from my essence to be. I must. And so darkness says, no, 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 no. And light says, yes, 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 yes. And light comes in. And what does it do? It exposes the darkness for what it is. Cover-ups, evil, lies, falsities, manipulation, sin. Mm. There is a reason why when you talk about Christ and the world, we see all throughout sacred scripture, these various play on words mm-hmm. to strike that contrast. And certainly the, the, the strongest one is light and dark. It's communicating the good and the evil, the truth and the lie. And so this is very important because certainly the light is shining bright on the Baptist, mm-hmm. but he's not concerned with his shadow. He's focused on the light of Christ. He never looks down. He's constantly got his eyes on Christ. And he reminds us of our limitations, Debbie. He reminds us of our human limitations. And as we were talking before, when I say that uh, the Baptist reminds us of our human limitations, he was not struggling with with low Mm self-esteem. No, he wants us to see that what the Christian vocation is about, what the Christian journey is about, is that that salient truth that comes to us from Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Because in that great beatitude, which leads the whole charter for holiness in Matthew chapters 5 to 7, what do we have? That teaching that communicates our need, our uh, dependence upon Christ. That everything and anything that we do We must entrust ourselves to God totally and entirely. This is why we read in John 3.30, He must increase as I must decrease, which I believe, Debbie, alongside of the great prayer that our Lord teaches us, our Father who art in heaven, to be the second greatest prayer. If it is not, behold, let it be done unto me. All of these prayers speak to humility. And so the Baptist is a great teacher in his witness. You know, St. Francis of Assisi would always give a nod to the Baptist because if St. Francis of Assisi is a saint for the ages, not because he talked to animals, 
Okay, enough <laughs> uh, enough of that nonsense. Or He's, hug trees. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's because he embodied that great prayer. Mm. He must increase as I must decrease. And certainly this is what we should be focusing in on because, again, this is about the disposition of humility. And if we are going to acquire that that gaudete that we've talked about, the joy, then we must first enter into uh, this disposition of humility. And so what happens when God begins to increase in our life? What mm. begins to happen? Light enters us in a way that we maybe have never experienced before. And what does that light do? That light, so he increases and I decrease. So what does that mean? I, d- I, don't, um, I don't mean uh, I'm not myself. I lose who I am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All those buzzwords that we yeah. hear all the time. Yeah, that's a good point, Debbie. Um, really good point. No, just the opposite happens. Mm-hmm. Just We become fully who we are, mm-hmm. who, who mm-hmm. God meant us to be. And there is the joy. Mm-hmm. There is what we celebrate. Adate, he, the natural reaction to God increasing in us is joy and light. And that light just radiates. You look at people like Mother Teresa, you know, the saints for our day, Francis. Mm-hmm. They, they glow they with do. joy. Yeah. Pope Paul VI in his great work, Evangelii Nuntiandi, that uh, evangelization in the modern world, says, out from prayer, we glow with fervor. I love that point because it's, it's John Paul II. Jesus Christ reveals the full vision of man. Right. He shows you how to be the best version of who God is calling you to be. Absolutely. Because your potential is not realized in what you can do, your functionality. No. The best version of Joe, Debbie, and all of our listeners out there can only be realized in light of that light penetrating us invading our soul because it's a divine energy Mm. that's the language of the church fathers it's a divine energy and it really is absolutely and that's the joy and we talked about the Mm -hmm. the grace and the joy and the interconnectedness that's the joy Mm -hmm. and so certainly this sunday um, it's right that we are talking about this because it is about that joy Uh, we have you know the, the conception of jesus and of course the annunciation and what, what were the words in that angelic salutation? Rejoice, O highly favored one, or hail, full of grace. Okay, and then from the conception to the birth, a, another a great hymn to joy in so many ways, which I believe is actually led by the Magi because of the Magi's response when they have found him. They rejoiced indeed exceedingly with great joy. That explosive Greek The Greek is usually very economical, one, two, maybe three syllables. This word has 11, 12, 13 syllables. It's almost exhaustive to read it, but not passive, active, explosive. So they see Jesus, and it's like, wow. Mm. You know, you you enter a stadium, and you've, you've longed your whole life to see this team play or that team play, and you say, wow, fair enough, fair enough, right? You go to that team you want to root for. There's something that just takes your breath away. It's that aesthetic arrest. They found beauty incarnate. Mm. And in that aesthetic arrest, it was, wow. And Mm. they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So from the conception of Jesus to the birth of Jesus, joy really is the hymn, the overture Mm -hmm. to better understand 
what the New Testament itself is all about. As Benedict speaks to it so beautifully, that joy is the first proclamation of the New Testament. Debbie, with the rest of our time, I want to make sure we get to that second reading, which we're not going to be able to actually read. But that passage oh, in 1 Thessalonians favorite. 5, and I think it's specifically chapter 5, verse 17. Rejoice always and pray without ceasing. Mm-hmm. Rejoice always and pray without ceasing. Well, we've already touched upon it a little bit, Debbie. Where does our joy come from? Mm-hmm. The prayer. Mm-hmm. Our prayer. We could say, uh, pray unseasonally and you will rejoice always in many <laughs> yeah. ways, right? right? Because joy is really, if it's the, the great proclamation of the New Testament, it's that that leads spiritual fruit. Mm-hmm. It's that lead spiritual fruit that is that natural outgrowth from a fervent life of prayer. And so as we are in this third Sunday of Advent, uh, we do begin to start thinking maybe a little more about Christmas Day. And in that beginning stages of beginning to think a little more about Christmas Day, maybe our heart beats a little faster because we get excited. Mm-hmm. You know, anytime your beloved walks into the room, your heart skips a beat, as they say. There's a joy there. There's a joy there. And uh, this is what's going on. Our beloved is, is he's almost here. Mm-hmm. He's getting close. Mm-hmm. And so something to be thinking about for sure. And during this Advent, we will be journeying with the Magi. Mm-hmm. And what were they following? A bright, bright star. They mm-hmm. were following the light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And isn't that what, what Advent is for us? Keep, keep looking up, folks, and follow the light. Because he will direct you. He will guard your heart and lead you home. Amen. Amen. I was reading some St. John Chrysostom. Dr. Scott Hahn has a new book out, and it's entitled uh, Joy to the World, How Christ's Coming Changed Everything and Still Does. And in that work, he gets into the phenomenon of the star, among many other things. And uh, in so doing, he gets into St. John Chrysostom. Mm. St. John Chrysostom talks about how the star was an angelic phenomenon. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really interesting. Uh, either way, it's still a very brilliant light that the yes. Magi were following. Yes. And uh, we can see it as a compass, mm-hmm. a kind of natural, supernatural compass uh, to lead us to the infant king, the manger. Uh, we were talking about words or names earlier. And you know, what does the word manger mean? Chew. To chew. Yeah, mandire, yeah, to, to mandire is the Latin to chew. Well, it's, that's what it means because that's where, you know, that's where the animals go to feed. Well, mm-hmm. it just is one verse later in John 1, 129 where the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. Mm-hmm. Behold the Lamb of God. That's for another program. But it's interesting how in God's infinite providence, he would reveal such, such wisdom in the fine details. Okay. Let us uh, wrap up with a a word of prayer here, Debbie, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Jesus, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And all glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you.
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.